0: Well, good morning, church. Hey, man, so glad that you're here this morning to celebrate our risen Savior together, to celebrate that empty tomb and to know that we have hope everlasting in Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Uh, What a joy it is to be with you the first day of the week, every single week, and to encourage each other on the journey, uh, to say that we're in this thing together, the Holy Spirit living within us, and we look forward to the impactful things that Christ is doing in our lives and how we can bless those around us. If you're a guest with us today, thanks for joining us. Truly an honor you're here. And uh, our hope would be, of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love to have you as part of our family here at Cross Point. All of us have said, as uh, our sign says over here, that God is enough, Jesus Christ has done enough. And we want to pour into the story that God is creating in the world. So we've surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ and we want you to do that in the story uh, as well. So thanks again for being here uh, today as we dig into the Word of God uh, to see what Christ would tell us to do today through his servant John uh, and what the Holy Spirit's calling us and how he's calling us to live. Last week we started in 1 John. We'll be there again today. I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there to the second chapter of 1 John as we unpack uh, a little bit of what uh, God would love us to do in our life. Uh, The Apostle John is writing about 95 A.D., Uh, And he's combating some things that are going on within the church in Asia Minor. He's working out of the town of Ephesus, and uh, he's talking to all of the churches that are in Asia Minor, uh, trying to combat something called Gnostic teaching. Uh, And in a nutshell, basically it says that we can have this special knowledge from God. We may not even need a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to have a relationship with God the Father. There are some other pieces of that puzzle, but generally, uh, John knows that uh, this teaching is not what Jesus Christ wants his church to know. Matter of fact, John opens up that letter uh, to the churches, and he says, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched Jesus Christ. We know him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and so we want you to hear the truth of what the gospel truly is. Last week, we talked about walking in the light. And as we take those baby steps and we start our Christian journey, uh, that as it is with most babies, when they start to walk, we fall down along the way. And today, we're going to look at chapter 2 and discover what does it mean to stay on the path, that God is calling us to follow his son on the path that he's trailblazing for us. Uh, I want to know, how many of you in here are people pleasers? Raise your hand if you're willing to do that. Yeah, I'm raising my hand as well. Yeah, most of us don't like conflict. We like to get along. We tolerate those folks within our family, you know, that show up at Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? Or the folks in the the office that maybe give us a bad vibe and we don't get along with their personality very well. Uh, We want the boat to be steady. Don't rock the boat too much. Uh, John, in his letter isn't like that. Okay? He he doesn't mind rocking the boat a little bit because he wants the church to know the importance of the gospel message. And so sometimes he's not very nice. He kind of says something at times that are a little crass. And we're called to follow Jesus Christ, we're called to imitate him, and we would assume John would be doing the same thing, but was Jesus always kind? Was he always Nice? Compassionate? Absolutely. Uh, Friendly? Yes. Was he loving? Yes. Forgiving? Absolutely. Was he full of grace and mercy? Yes. Always nice? I'm not sure. Place yourself in a few of these stories that I'll reveal to you through the gospel. It's interesting because a couple of them are head scratchers for me if Jesus is truly nice all the time, not wanting to rock the boat, so to speak. Uh, You take the image of Jesus right before he's arrested in the garden. It's late at night. Uh, The disciples have been made aware that Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to be arrested. And Peter steps up, the number one guy, and he says, Jesus, this is not going to happen. You're the main man. You're the Messiah. And this is just not going to take place. And Jesus says to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, have anybody in here ever been called Satan? I'm not sure. Maybe you've been called a name you didn't like, and how did that make you feel? Uh, Yeah, you kind of wanted to come back on that. Can you imagine the Son of God saying, Satan, get behind me, and talking to you? Well, that's not maybe very nice in the moment. Or you think of this story the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus, he's hanging out with the disciples, they're having a meal together, and she wants a favor, she wants a miracle to happen, and Jesus looks at her and says, listen, dogs don't get to eat what's on the master's table. Jesus says that. That doesn't sound very nice. Now, she comes right back and she says, well, yeah, but even the dogs get the scraps, the crumbs that fall on the ground. And Jesus says, man, I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. Wow. Whatever you're asking for is going to happen. Or or you think about Mark chapter 5. When Jesus is confronted with a demoniac, there are so many demons living in this one man, they call themselves legion. And they go back and forth about what's going to happen with them. They don't want to be cast out of the area. And then they say, hey, there's a herd of pigs over here on the hillside. Why don't you put us in the pigs instead? And so Jesus complies, cast out the demon, but they go into the pigs, who rush down the hillside into the lake, and they all drown. Now, Peter might have had an issue with that, but not very nice. Can you imagine the folks who owned those pigs? You just took away all of our livelihood. You took away a whole cachet of money. Matter of fact, at the end of the story, the people in the area are, are asking Jesus to leave the area. There are moments in Jesus' ministry, well, if we had been in the story, we might say, hmm, that's not very nice. Compassionate, absolutely. Loving, without a shadow of a doubt. Always answering the way maybe we would want that to happen. John seems to have learned some of Jesus' tricks from him in this particular story, in this letter to these churches in Asia Minor. Now, remember when Jesus calls John, who wrote this letter, and his brother James, James and John, he calls them sons of thunder. Now, what does that mean? That sounds like a WWF wrestling team, doesn't it? I mean, John off the top rung, right? Who knows? Sons of thunder. It sounds a little rough and tumble, doesn't it? I mean, that's kind of how John comes across in his letter to this church. I mean, John isn't always agreeable, amiable. He's not always pleasant with what he has to say. But John is an old man. He's at the end of his life, and he knows that there's some teaching that needs to be corrected, and so he can't mix any words. He he wants the church to understand how important it is to stay on the path, walk in the light, follow Jesus Christ, whatever that means that you need to give up, make it so. And as we discovered last week, he continually calls that first-generation church his children. He's the old fatherly type, and he wants to get his kids In line, if you will. John says in this text, in verse 6, 1 John chapter 2, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. How do we know what that looks like? Well, we simply can go back and look at the four gospels and we see how Jesus interacts with his heavenly Father, getting done the the plan all the way to the cross, what needs to be done. He loves his father that much, but he also loves all of those that he comes in contact with. There are no barriers for Jesus in ministry, no skin color, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. Jesus attends and loves on everyone that he comes in touch with. And John says, kids, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, then then you need to look like Jesus. You, you need to follow him. Now, John's not telling us that we need to be perfect. There's no way we can be perfect. You and I sin every single day. Although we're walking toward the cross, walking toward Jesus, walking in his shadow, we still sin every day. He's not calling us to be perfect because Jesus Christ is our perfection. What he did for us on the cross and that empty tomb reminds us that he's conquered everything. And so he is the king of kings and the the Lord of lords. However, If you claim to follow Jesus Christ, your life will not be totally out of alignment with the type of life that Jesus lived. You can't say you're a Christian, John says, but then do this type of life over here. They just don't really go together. And so you have to ask yourself, are there things in my life that I need to let go of things that I need to do in order to get back in the light to to get on the path that's been set out for me and John says in verse 4 of 1 John if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments that person is a liar and is not living in the truth really John just tell us how you feel (laughs) you are a liar wow he's not holding anything back He's one of the sons of thunder, not stopping, short of what he truly wants to say. So, in our own lives, some of us say we follow Jesus, but yet we find ourselves still having prejudice, maybe against a skin color, a socioeconomic background, an ethnicity, we say that we love Jesus, but we really don't offer to help anyone. We come here maybe one, once a week on a Sunday to consume in the time we have together, but through the course of the week, you don't stop to help anyone. You're not involved in a ministry. There's nothing going on in your life that would tell anyone that you truly care about those around you. You say that you look like Jesus, yet on Monday morning you get to work, and what happens? My pride and ego kick in, and I've got an angry chip on my shoulder that I'm just waiting for you to knock off. But I follow Jesus. See, as, as parents, we, we do loving things that maybe our kids wouldn't think are very nice. And in the context of the letter here, John is that father figure, and he's talking to the church that he considers his children. I mean, as a parent, maybe you've experienced this from your parents, want to limit that sugar intake during the course of the week. (laughs) So there's limited ice cream, we're not having that type of cereal, and the list goes on and on and on. In the moment you're doing the loving thing as a parent, but the kid says you're not very nice in the moment maybe your child sits at the dinner table looking at that piece of broccoli or the green beans and they're like I'm not going to eat that but as a parent you're doing the loving thing and saying no you're going to get some green inside you so you're sitting there until that is gone and it may be an hour before that takes place and maybe you've got a certain time that everybody goes to bed But my favorite show is on and school's out. It doesn't matter. We go to bed at 10. I want you to get rest. You can get up tomorrow and go do your thing. And in the moment, your child may think that you're not very nice. Or on Saturday morning, really early at 8 o'clock, you get them up to go mow the yard because you're going to pull your weight around this house. You're part of this family. Well, it was my morning to sleep in. It doesn't matter. You're part of the family. Come on, let's go. In that moment, you're doing what's loving because you're building character and integrity. But your child may think that you're not being very nice. And John, in his letter, is speaking to his children. He's trying to love on them the best way that he knows how. But for some of us, as we view that letter, we may think, hmm, not very nice. Uh, truly, what's happening in, in this first century church what John is dealing with is really not too far from what our postmodern churches are dealing with right now in the world. We're still combating all the glitter and the, uh, the twinkle that comes from the outside of the pathway that God set for us with His Son, Jesus Christ, the enemy trying to lure us away from following Jesus. And people are saying they believe but they're really not living like they believe. They're a poor reflection of Jesus. And, and John is talking to this first century church and reminding them, you can say you're a Christian, but until you actually look like Jesus, it doesn't correlate. It, it's not on target. It's not right. And, and these first century Christians like us each and every day are at a crossroads of life, We've got the path that Jesus has laid out for us, and we can follow him, imitate him, desire to be like him, or we can do the other than Jesus' path, which is really the world, which says you can really do what you want to do. You've got one path or the other to choose, John says. I mean, how many of you have, if we're to be honest this morning, remember you're in church, um... How many of you would admit to driving, being on a road, and you were absolutely certain this was the right way to go? You would bet your next paycheck that this was the road that you're supposed to be on. Oh, I appreciate it. Look at all the honesty. Hands going up. Uh-huh. Until you get to the end of that spot and you realize, wow, this was not the way to go. And the navigator in the car, who will remain unnamed, says, I told you so. How many of us have been on the road to find out that we really weren't on the road that we thought that we were on? Robin's parents, and I love them dearly, great, great couple, Larry and Evelyn. They live in northwest Arkansas, and Evelyn's family lives in Missouri. One day they decided one weekend to go visit uh, her sister, and the, the, the motif is Larry is going to pull the van out of the, the garage. Uh, it's fired up, gassed up. Larry is going to be on the driver's side of the van. Evelyn is going to get on the passenger side of the van and tell him how to drive. That's just how it works. I'm, I'm not being mean. It's just how it works. They get on the road. They're headed down the road, and she's giving him instruction. She kicks the, the seat back and takes a little nap. And when she wakes up, he's pulling into her mom and dad's house when in reality, He should be going to her sister's house an hour away. Larry would have sworn he was going to the right spot. I thought I had this down. I thought I was moving in the right direction. And Evelyn quickly reminded him, no, you went to the wrong place. I told you where to go. There are moments in our spiritual journey that we find ourselves in that moment. I could have sworn I was going in the right direction. And John wants to make us aware of some things that might pull us off the road that Jesus Christ wants us on. And so he says in verse 15, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. John wants the church to to realize there are two options that you have in your faith journey. There's the way of Jesus Christ or the other than Jesus way of thinking, which is the worldly way of thinking. Now, I don't want us to get discouraged this morning. We talked about it last week, I'll reaffirm today, that we don't need to get discouraged because you and I will fail every day. We are sinful people. We need Jesus Christ in our life. We need his saving grace in our life. We need his blood cleansing us in our life. Am I right? Absolutely. Thank you. John's not referring to what we talked about last week, the moments when we fall along the journey. It's going to happen to each and every one of us every day. The older we get in our Christian walk, though, the more mature we become in our faith. The more understanding of what it means to look like Jesus occurs to us in our hearts and our minds, and we begin to make better decisions, wiser decisions. We know what to stay away from. So when we fall... John's not talking about that we don't love God in that moment. What John is talking about is nominal Christianity. What John is referring to in his letter are folks who say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, but yet their life doesn't look like it at all. And John wants to warn us and the church in that regard of what that might look like. Jesus himself refers to these two ideas in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, in the month of July, Caleb is going to preach through the Sermon on the Mount for us. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to dig into the Word. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13, beginning, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. Jesus himself said, you have two options. You can follow me or you can succumb to the glitter of the world and follow the world. And for many of us in our life, self-confessed, you start that Christian walk and you think you've got it all together, you've got everything down pat and you push that autopilot button and here you go into life, and you find out along the way that maybe you've made some bad decisions because you're on autopilot. How many of you like to watch the channel Discovery, the Discovery Channel? Anybody in here with me? They've got lots of great programming on that that television show, or that television station, rather. One of the shows that astounds me is the show I Shouldn't Be Alive. Anybody watch that show? Have you seen that show before? I probably could be on that show a couple of times, I'm pretty sure based upon my youth ministry experience. But there are moments in that show, and it almost never fails, that somebody took their eye off the path, they took a wrong step, they found themselves in a canyon, lost in the woods, any number of things, and it was days before people ever found them. And sometimes in our spiritual journey, it's much the same. We start out on our journey with Jesus Christ and some glitter, some light, something that the enemy does to pull our attention away from Jesus gets us off the path that we're supposed to be on. And we begin meandering until we look around and discover, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. This wasn't what I had planned. And we are forced to ask the question, where am I? John goes on in his letter in verse 16, and he says, The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. If you've got your own Bible with you, I want you to circle that verse, underline it, asterisks, whatever you need to highlight that verse, because it is imperative we understand how Satan works in our life. How we travel. If I could reword some of that, it would be three things. Pleasure, possessions, and pride. John says, if that's what your world looks like, if you're going to be honest with yourself and claim one of those things that you're following, then you're going to be able to get out of the woods. You're going to be able to do something different. Now, in and of themselves, those things are not bad. All of those things can be used for God's glory. But it's when you and I go to sleep and dream about these things, it's when we wake up and begin thinking immediately about how we can get our name in the paper or on the door or increase our bank account. When that is our world, John says, beware. Those are the things of this world that will pull you away from Jesus Christ. Sometimes that text, the word that John uses is epithemia. Epithemia, and it means lust, literally translated hyper-desire. What is your desire, John is asking those first-century Christians. Do you desire to be well-known? Do you desire to have a huge bank account? Do, do pretty things detract you from truly following Jesus Christ? I mean, it's what we do in our own culture, This culture has become all about me and you. All the media different types that are out there, sources say that you and I can be inundated every day with as many as 4,000 ads by this. Go there. Drive this car. Have this job. Cut your hair this way. All these kinds of things that lead into focus where life is just about you and life becomes about pride It becomes about self-awareness, about being noticed. It becomes about being right, no matter what anyone else is saying. And John in his letter is saying, listen, there are two paths. And if you've made a decision to make your desire about things of the world, then stop calling yourself a Christian. Lean into Jesus Christ, or lean into the world, but do one or the other. He says in verse 17, a reminder that this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John wants to reaffirm to us as Christians that the things that Satan uses to pull us away from Jesus Christ will not be around very long. That if we're truly going to invest, that we need to invest in an eternal life that's with God. Now what John doesn't say is that all of us are going to live forever. Those that choose to live as Jesus and King of your life are going to live forever in the presence of God. We've got to make a decision as people of God that we're going to follow Jesus Christ because his heart... His will, His design is going to be achieved at the end of the day. And some of us, including myself, we've gone pretty far down that other path, the other than Jesus path. You're never too far away that Jesus can't come and sweep you back to where you need to be with that realization. Some of us have been pretty far down that path when we realized, hey, this is not where I'm supposed to be. God's got something better in mind for me. And so we move back to the path that is Jesus Christ. We move back to following what he's called us to be and how to live. And we as a church, we need to hear from some of you that have made that decision. Last week, we did that with some of our brothers and sisters who very courageously got up here on stage with their cardboard testimony to reveal to us poor decisions that they'd made along the way, and then how Jesus had corrected those decisions for them. But some of us in life are so intent on looking perfect that we fail to tell those stories. And there are others who are passing us by, headed in the same direction, and we say nothing. We do nothing. How many of you? Let's see how honest you are. How many of you, during the sermon, have thought about where we're going to eat lunch today? I've done that. Am I alone in this? What's difficult is when I think about that and I'm preaching. That's <laughs> that's tough. Gets me distracted. There are some Sundays when, you know, you get a hankering for certain kinds of food or a certain type of food or a certain restaurant specifically, and there have been Sundays when I thought, you know what sounds good today? (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Those people aren't Christian. They shut down. So you you get in the car and and you head that way, and you've forgotten that they're closed on Sundays. You pull into the parking lot and you think, I'm going to be the first one in line. There's nobody here. It's going to be awesome. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. They're closed on Sunday. But then you think, I remember so-and-so talking about going to Chick-fil-A to do as well at, at church today. But I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to let them come here and experience the same embarrassment that I just had. And you think it's really funny. And in the moment, it is funny. However, spiritually speaking, so many of us do that in our own life, don't we? I've been there, done that, realized it was the wrong move. I know someone else is involved in that as well, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And as people of God, as the family of God, we're called to help each other journey, not browbeat, not, not make you feel guilty, but come alongside and say, man, I've made a bad decision. And I think maybe you might be there as well. Let's take this journey together. Even in 20 years of youth ministry, It breaks my heart to talk to parents who've made poor decisions and they see their kids making the same decisions, but they're scared to death to tell their kids that they're not perfect. They won't listen to me as a parent if I let them know I made this choice or this decision. And so they watch their children make the same decisions that they make without saying a word. It's heartbreaking. Some of you who are older in our family... And need to be vocal about decisions that you've made where you found yourself on the wrong road, but then Jesus got you back to where you needed to be because of a decision you made to do the right thing, to be the right person, to imitate God in every possible way. And for some of us who are younger, we need to listen to those older stories. We don't have it figured out. None of us do. It takes all of us in this journey John goes on in verse 18. Remember, he's the father figure, the older guy, the the last apostle that's alive. And he starts out in verse 18 by saying, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Now, John is the only New Testament writer that uses in Greek that word Antichrist. The first time he uses it in this verse, it's the big A, which means he's talking about a government or a person. But the second one is a little A. And he's talking about those in the church who've made a decision to live life kind of how they feel like, although calling themselves Christian. He's not calling them sinners. He's calling them Antichrist. They're not living like we're called to live. And John is begging the church to listen. Don't love the world. Stay in the light. Walk on the path. Jesus Christ is in front of you. Follow his lead. Imitate him in every way. Love God and embrace that kingdom idea. Love on the people that are around you. Paul, in his first experience in prison... He had a Christian man that was helping him uh, while he was in that moment, a guy by the name of Demas. He said he was very helpful to him in that first experience. But the second time that Paul goes to prison, goes to Rome, it'll eventually be his death. He mentions to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas has left me. He's fallen in love with the world. He's left his first calling into Jesus There have been moments like you, my guess would be, that my hyper-desire has not been Jesus Christ. There have been moments I've made a decision to go down the wide path because I thought that was the way to go. I thought I was on a better road. But John is telling us, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Follow the Son of God. Make sure that you lean into him because Jesus Christ has come to set all of us free. He's come to lift the burden, to take away the shackles, to to say, don't listen to the world, don't follow the enemy because he only wants the worst for you. I've come to give you life and give you to the fullest. I want you to have everything that you can be blessed with. church, the call this morning through John is, is to tell us, make your desire Jesus Christ. Make your hope, your wish, your going to sleep moment, your waking up moment, make it about Jesus Christ. Just to say, I'm going to follow him in every way. I'm going to embrace the plan that God has for me. I'm going to love on those people, even the difficult ones that are around me, because that's what Jesus did. Make Jesus your hyper desire. Stay in the light. Stay on the path. Don't forget all the things that Jesus Christ has done for you. It's easy. One step in front of the other. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team to the stage at this time. Our our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, my guess would be there are probably some here this morning who... Maybe there's something in your life that's not allowing you to fully embrace. Maybe you feel the guilt of a poor decision. You have discovered that you're on the wrong road and, and, and you find it difficult to get back to where you need to be, but the Holy Spirit is there to lead you. Jesus Christ says, all is forgiven. Embrace me in the life that I have for you and you'll be blessed beyond measure. Go to one of our shepherds, let them pray for you, let them pray over you. Talk about where you're at in your journey so that they can help you Get to where you need to be through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together.